time. But I think living brave is taking your personal story, which you've done as well, and sharing it with the world in hopes that if one person benefits from it, it was worth it. It was worth opening your heart and your life up to other people. What does it mean to you to live your best and bravest life? Does it mean being strong and forthright? Do you think of bravery as a woman or a man in uniform wearing stars or medals? Or does it mean being vulnerable, honest and courageous in all that you do? It is my mission in life to help you feel brave and empowered to live as your authentic self. So join me in these inspirational conversations filled with tips and tricks to help you live your best and bravest life. I'm Tiffany Johnson, and this is the When We Are Brave podcast. Welcome to the When We Are Brave podcast. I am so excited that you are here with me today. Thank you for tuning in and thank you as well for leaving reviews and subscribing. Reviews really help get the When We Are Brave podcast out into the world of podcasting. Recently, the When We Are Brave podcast has been ranked in Singapore in a couple of different categories. That's never happened before. So thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope that this podcast is helping you to lead your best and bravest life. Today on the show, I have got an absolutely incredible woman that I did an interview with a little time ago. Her name is Amy Nielsen. She's a blogger, a podcaster, a freelance writer, she's a parent advocate, and she's an early intervention specialist, in particular for behavioural disorders such as children on the autism spectrum. She's a former educator of 17 years. She was a teacher for middle schools, but she's also worked in middle school television production. Amy had a child at the age of 45, and she talks about her beautiful child on this podcast. It was the birth of her fourth child that has changed her life, turned it on its head, but what it's actually done has given her life incredible meaning and purpose. And now she has this incredible business that she runs called Big Abilities. She works in not-for-profit. She's empowering parents across the globe. I'm not kidding, across the globe. Parents who have got kids with autism and she helps them deal with the diagnosis. She helps them learn to take care of themselves so that they can better support and parent their child. It's not an easy road out there when you have a child who has a disability of some kind. And Amy is an incredible resource an incredible go-to person, and just an incredible human being all round. I loved this interview, and I really hope that you love this interview too. Even if you don't know any kids with autism or anyone with autism or anyone with a disability, you are going to enjoy this episode. There are tips and tricks in here for everybody. So tune in, settle down, and enjoy this episode on the When We Are Brave podcast. Welcome, Amy, to the When We Are Brave podcast. I've been looking forward to this interview for a number of weeks now. What we're going to talk about today is incredibly close to my heart. 
Can you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, what you do, and how you're making a difference in our world? Sure. And thank you so much for having me. I have definitely been looking forward to talking with you and being on your podcast, and I just love it. So I'm really honored to be here. Um, Yeah, my name is Amy Nielsen, and what I'm doing currently is very different than what I thought I would be doing most of my adult life. Um, What I'm doing right now is I run a, a blog and a podcast called Big Abilities, where I provide support to parents of special needs children, children with uh, developmental disabilities such as ADHD, mostly autism, and Down syndrome, and, you know, those sorts of of, uh, developmental disabilities. So I do that. I also um, work for the nonprofit organization Collaborative Corner for Exceptional Children, where I serve as early intervention specialist and parent advocate. And what both of those roles mean is as early intervention specialist, I help the the families that are newly diagnosed They don't know where to turn for resources. They're overwhelmed. And I just try to help unoverwhelm them. And one of the services that we have is a concierge service where I'll speak with the client and I'll go through all sorts of different topics of areas they might need assistance in. Maybe that's financial help and paying for therapy. Maybe that's where to go for therapy. Maybe that's what types of therapy. Maybe that's if they need um, educational advocacy for school, whatever that may be, we kind of go through all of that. We come, I come back and, you know, give them all the answers and the resources that I've found. Um, that service is free of charge. And as parent advocate, I provide support to the parents directly for them because they're the ones that have to do the big work of being in the advocate for their child. So I have a support group that meets every Friday at 1030 Eastern time via Zoom. It is a great group of parents. We have some moms and some dads in there. We just support each other, share information. Um, I'm also available, you know, via either Big Abilities or Collaborative Corner via email. And any question that a parent might have, we get back to our clients within 24 hours. And so I'm really passionate about what I'm doing right now because later in life, I had a fourth child and he is on the autism spectrum and has ADHD as well. And so it's really kind of shifted my focus um, into just really delving deep into the special needs community and serving as many people as I can. Because when I began this journey, it was people, other parents like me, reaching out to me and offering me that support that really helped me get to that next step in that process of being able to be the advocate for my son that I try to teach parents to be for their children. That's amazing. I think when you have a life where you're following through with a passion that you are so connected with, the results for both yourself and your wider community are enhanced and it's an incredible experience. I've got goosebumps as you were talking about that. I can (laughs) just feel your passion. It's wonderful. There's lots of different aspects of the autism spectrum and a lot of people get a little bit confused about the different areas in that. Would you mind just explaining those key points for our listeners, please? Sure. Um, Well, autism spectrum disorder, the definition has changed over time. And currently, according to the most recent um, diagnostic and statistic manual, which is where a lot of these definitions come from, in order for someone to get the autism spectrum diagnosis, typically there's three different um, criteria that must be met. So there... A lot of times in the past, people would use terms such as high-functioning autism or low-functioning autism, and those terms really are um, archaic. They are not accurate. So we're really trying to move parents and people away from using those terms to describe, 
you know, what autism is. Uh, Asperger's used to be a term that was associated with autism. That term kind of has gone away as well. So what we look at, when I say we, I mean, uh, people that are diagnosing autism, um, they look at three characteristics, three traits. So it's um, characterized by either a delay in reaching developmental milestones or regression in previously learned milestones or previously met milestones. Um, it's a uh, marked um, challenge in social and uh, social communication. So that may be language, conversation, social interaction. So they're not socially communicating the way you would think a child that age should be. And so, and within each of these, there's varying levels. And then lastly would be um, things like atypical behaviors. So whether maybe a child is not playing with the toy appropriately, they're lining it up or um, an atypical behavior of like the toe, toe walking or rocking in a chair for, you know, sensory stimulation. So those three are like the main criteria. And then within each of those areas, there's, you know, different levels of how impacted that individual is by that particular uh, struggle. So that's kind of a little bit about where those, where that definition right now stands. It could change again tomorrow, but right now that's kind of where uh, developmental pediatricians and psychiatrists are diagnosing kids that fit those three criteria. That's very helpful. Thank you for explaining that. You're very welcome. I think learning that your child is on the spectrum, often we don't we don't expect that. And I think when expectations are within us in our life, often can lead to incredible amounts of discomfort, confusion, lack of clarity, fear, fear of the unknown. Mm -hmm. It's a challenging time for parents. The world that they thought they were going to lead, that expectation of their life has completely turned upside down. What are some of the tools and techniques that you have used to help families accept the diagnosis so that they can all move forward and live their best and bravest life? Because let's face it, these parents, they are brave and these kids are brave and they're tough and they're strong and they've been dealt with this situation and they've got to make the most of it. And I know quite a few kids with autism, they're delightful, they're an absolute joy, but it doesn't mean it's not challenging as well. So what are some of the tools and techniques that you use? Well, I want to first maybe kind of backtrack a little bit just because I want parents to know that I was there. I was that struggling mother um, before Barkley. That's my five-year-old that's on the autism spectrum was born. I had a full teaching career that I loved. I was the busy mom with three other children. So, you know, life was chaotic and it's comings and goings and it's grading papers and getting kids to ball practice. And, you know, it, it went by like a blur. And I have a defining moment after Barkley was born. I was 45 when he was born. Um, my three other children are my husband's stepchildren. And we met in our 40s. He asked me if I would have another child. I'm like, are you crazy? <laughs> and then <laughs> and then he said to me, he said, um, you can be home. And I'd always wanted to have that experience of being there when my children were meeting those early milestones. Because I missed that with my other three. You know, babysitters and daycares saw them take their first step. And 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 not that that's a bad thing. You know, I I love was very fulfilled in my career, but it was just, it went by so fast. So to be able to do that again, and this time savor every moment 
every snuggle, me have every opportunity to see every developmental milestone. I was so excited. And so when Barkley was born, I was 45. And when he was about six weeks old, I remember sitting on the couch and I was thinking about this today because I really wanted to say this because it impacts what happened when he was diagnosed with autism and how I handled it. But he was about six weeks old and I was on the couch and I was holding him and it was late in the evening and I was probably about to put him to bed. And I told my husband, I said, we're going to forget tonight ever existed possibly this moment right here where he's so little and he's so precious and he's so innocent. It goes by so fast. I said, I, I didn't have the time to write down everything in my kids' baby books when they were little. I'd forget something would happen and I'd forget to write something down and then it's gone. I said, I don't want to forget again. I'm going to slow down and savor this parenting experience this time. And I believe when you say something, you can manifest that for yourself, right? I mean, it just, thinking something is one thing. When you say it out loud, it's almost like a promise to yourself. So I committed to myself and to my son that I was going to slow down and I was going to pay attention. And so when he was 18 months old, he began to regress in speech. And because I was so in tune with what he was doing, because I was writing everything down, I didn't miss a thing. I knew that he was, that speech was supposed to progress, not regress. And then people tell you, boys talk later than girls. Every kid reaches their milestones at their own time. And parents begin to doubt that internal intuition. And that's one of the things I really try, especially when I'm working with a client that maybe hasn't gotten a diagnosis yet, that they have to tune that out. Whatever your gut instinct is telling you as mom, you need to trust it. You need to trust it. So I trusted it. And I'd also raised three other children and been an educator for nearly 20 years. And so I was pretty confident. Like if I believe something is wrong and I don't want to, maybe I shouldn't say the word wrong. If I believe something was not developmentally appropriate, I'm going to figure out why. So he went on to be um, diagnosed with a speech delay, then childhood apraxia of speech, then ADHD, then autism spectrum disorder. And then the diagnoses just keep piling on and piling on. And once a parent gets in that um, initial phase of trying to get these diagnoses, a lot of times we're not quiet anymore. We're not peaceful. We're not enjoying those little baby moments. We're back into mama bear mode. The sleeves are rolled up. You're searching the internet. You're constantly calling insurance companies and trying to get diagnoses and find therapies. And it is crazy and overwhelming. And um, one of the things that happened to me was in the middle of all of that. And he was in you know lots of different therapies. I had some friends that all had children my son's same age that didn't have autism. And we were having a conversation once. And it was about where our kids were going to go to preschools. So they were just turning three. And one mom was going to send her child to a Montessori preschool. And one mother got her child into like a preschool of the arts. And one mom got her child into a Spanish immersion preschool. I'm like, is this college? <laughs> and in that moment, it finally hit me. It stopped me in my tracks, Tiffany, that I realized my son wasn't going to be going to preschool. Mm -hmm. He'd already been actually kicked out of a preschool because they couldn't meet his needs anymore. 
And at that moment, that is when my feet were knocked out from underneath me and it was tough. And I told those friends that I needed to step back, that I cared for them, but I needed to stop seeing all the things their kids could do that my son couldn't. And I needed to go take care of my mental health. And so I pretty much ended almost all friendships because I knew nobody that had a child with autism, not one person. So I didn't have anybody to go to as, is this normal? How I'm feeling? I didn't have a support system at all. And what little support system I had, I ended because it was the wrong support system for me in that moment. And most of my life, I've been a confident woman. I've never really needed a support system. I've been everyone else's. In this moment, I knew I needed something that I didn't have and I felt incompetent as a parent and incompetent as just a person. I had this three-year-old little child that I did not know how to parent him at all. And so, and I know you've talked about therapy a lot, Tiffany. That's what I did. I said, I'm going to take this time, detach from all my social relationships and friendships and found a therapist that specialized in working with families impacted by developmental disabilities. And boy, do I recommend every parent to do that because what you said about this kind of being a grieving process, it is, and it's okay to call it that. Some parents feel like that they're being, you know, disrespectful to their child by saying that they're feeling grief over the diagnosis. It's you're having to grieve the childhood you thought your kid was going to have. You're having to grieve the potential that they may not be going to college. They might, may not be moving out on their own. They may not be getting married. And you have to, that's tough to swallow because we think when our kids are born, oh, I wonder what they're going to be when they grow up, you know? And not that kids with autism don't have futures because they have amazing futures, but it's very different. And so through that therapy, it was wonderful. I um, came out with a lot of takeaways, but one of the most important takeaways that I came out of there with was that I needed a support system and that it was my responsibility to build that support system, that everybody's busy in their lives. Nobody knows what I need. Um, I don't know what anybody else needs. But if someone comes knocking on my door and they say, hey, I my car broke down in front of your house. Can I borrow your phone? You know, my phone's dead. Of course, you're going to help somebody. But if you see someone sitting out by the side of the road, you may not ever think to go out there and ask if they need any help. And so that's one thing that um, out of therapy, I really came away with that building a support system was my responsibility. I needed to figure out what I needed because to fill the big needs of my son, I need to be the best version of me possible. And at that moment, I wasn't. And so that was a very good lesson that I learned in that therapy session. I went for about six months. And I also learned from her that I don't have to have all the answers. This is not the type of life where you do. It changes. It's fluid. Um, each day brings new challenges. And so I let go of all expectations. People would ask me, well, do you hope that he's going to be in a typically developing kindergarten? And I'm like, I don't know. And I don't care. Right now, we're dealing with the issues that we have. We'll deal with that when it gets to that point. And so that's kind of now how I handle things as they come up instead of feeling like I have to have everything planned out for his future. We work on what we need to work on today. And I'm okay with that. There are so many incredibly amazing points that you have made in that 
answering of the question there's so much more in that part of your story and I think whether or not you have a child that has autism or not I you need to let go of those expectations in so many different ways it doesn't serve you it doesn't serve anybody and you're so incredibly strong and brave and courageous when you faced yourself like that's just that's powerful stuff and your want and drive to make things better for all of you and that's what you're doing now you're an incredible human and that's why you wrote your book oh I love your book it's such a great useful resource for so many people I love this especially because it's called it takes a village and it does take a village to raise your children Mm -hmm. I have a number of people in our um, community that my children can go to my daughter's now 15 she'll be nearly 16 and we realized just the other day oh my goodness she's going to get a learner's driver's license (laughs) in a few months reached a new stage and I was thinking about all of our friends and their kids that are growing up and they're in behind the wheel and how much of a community we have around us and how incredibly lucky we are it takes a lot of work and a lot of dedication and a lot of time to build those relationships regardless of what your needs are you need that tribe around you so so important and that's why your book is so incredible because it really gives some actionable easy to follow tools for people who have kids who have been diagnosed on the autism spectrum and they just have no idea where to go so if you are needing that resource people I'm going to put that in the show notes for today with links to get it you can get it as an ebook or as a paperback book it's on Amazon what advice do you have for families who need to build that village to help them raise their children? Well, I'll, I'll start off by kind of explaining the different tiers of your support system because I think sometimes, and myself included, uh, would think of like, I don't have any support, my family can't look after my child, or my friends don't live near here. And you start with the negative. Um, so kind of changing that dialogue a little bit, I think is important because a lot of times when we have a child with autism, we can't hire a babysitter or we can't leave them with a younger, an older sibling, or even with us with a grandparent. I can't leave my son. Actually, we just left him for the first time with his 19 year old brother and his girlfriend for two hours to go to dinner and come back. And that was the first time I think we've left him with anyone other than his therapist since he probably the last three years. And um, it was with a lot of coaching for my, for my son. But this is the way I like to describe a support system. And the book goes through this. And then there's a, uh, actually a downloadable guide you can download to build that support system. And this is exactly what I did. And I, I think chapter one is about you because you're the number one person in your support system. Before you look outward, you have to look, look inward. And this is where self-care is important. And I tell parents all the time, self-care is not selfish, it's selfless. And so many times parents of children with special needs feel not just guilty for taking the time to go do something with a friend, but they feel guilty putting their self in the equation whatsoever. Um, And 
the needs of your child are so big, but if you're not filling your cup first, you can't fill their needs. And so that is very important. So I talk in that chapter about your physical health, your emotional health, your social health, uh, your nutrition, all of these different little areas, just to try to get people to think, am I taking care of me? I used to feel guilty taking care of myself. I don't anymore. I realize now I have to, because if I don't give myself that half hour at night to take a bath by myself and lock the door and light a candle or whatever, I'm not going to have the energy to get my son to sleep, you know? And so I, I really focus a lot on that and, and any of the parents that I coach too, making sure that they realize they have to do something for themselves every day. And that's different for everyone. Some people it's journaling. I know you've talked a lot about journaling. Um, for me, it's writing, but it's typically um, writing blogs, which I guess is kind of like journaling as well. But whatever it is, just make sure that you're number one in your life. And then everybody else, you'll be able to take care of them the way you need. Then number the, the second tier is your surroundings, your home. Uh, is it disorganized and chaotic? Can you find things? Because physical clutter can become mental clutter. And when you've got a child in the autism spectrum that has hundreds of doctor's appointments, you know, over a year and therapy and all, all these different therapists and so much going on, so much what can be chaos. You don't want to clutter your mind with anything else. So it's uh, help parents get their homes organized. And what are some tools that you can use for that? It's very important. And it's also important for your child. Our kiddos can suffer from a lot of sensory overload. So if their bedroom is full of toys, it's hard for them to go in there and relax and go to sleep. And same for us. So that's chapter two. And then chapter three is finally where we start looking outward. And the first people you turn to is your family. But maybe your family isn't next door and you can drop your child off for a weekend. Or maybe they are next door, but they just don't have the tools to look after your child. My parents can't look after my son. They're, um, my mom, they're both older and, you know, more frail. And Barkley's rough and tough and likes to play wrestle and all these things. But that doesn't mean they're not part of my support system because I can call them any time of the day or night and they love me unconditionally. They'll listen to my highs and lows. They love my son unconditionally. So sometimes you just have to rethink what that family support system looks like. Um, and then the next is thinking about your friends. And I tell people you need friends inside the special needs community and outside. And those friends that I took a step back from during that period of time where I was going through therapy, Tiffany, they didn't go away. They sent me books. They sent me cards. They sent me letters. One, They sent me face masks. They, we love you. We're here for you when you're ready to come back to the group. That meant so much to me that they understood I needed some time to work on me. But, but you do need those friends that have nothing to do with autism or nothing to do with special needs. But the support system of friends that have children with special needs, that is where you're going to, that they're going to be become your pillars. And I always tell the parents that I work with, they need two types of friends within that special needs community. They need friends that have children around the same age with the same type of, you know, special need. So they can bounce ideas off of each other, share resources, but you also need a mentor, someone that's got a child a couple years older than yours. And that knows where you've been. They've gone through some of those struggles and they can kind of coach you to the next level. So that's another important area that to work on. And then um, there's your professional support system. So 
you have a professional support system and your child has one. Those are your doctors, your teachers, your therapists, uh, um, online podcasters that you found, anybody that has information and that you need that you don't have, you know, so thinking about that and then using them as a resource. Anytime there is a challenging behavior in our home that I feel ill-equipped to handle, I email my son's therapist or the BCBA to therapy center and say, hey, this is the latest issue. And they instantly, you know, come back with great resources and advice and they work on him with the center and the center with it. So that's important. And then lastly, the last chapter I put in was on nonprofit organizations. I had no idea, Tiffany, how many organizations at a local, state, national, international level there were until I went looking for them and then ended up partnering with one myself, Collaborative Corner for Exceptional Children. And organizations like ours exist because all we want to do is help families that are dealing with a lot of the things that we used to deal with and that still are. And most of these organizations, and I list several of them in the book, I don't have Collaborative Corner because I wasn't working with them yet, but most of these organizations provide all their services to your family for free at no charge because these people are passionate about helping you. And that's another thing that I try to do in my concierge service is connect people with nonprofits that I think could serve them in some of the family deficits that they might be having, whether that be maybe they have a sibling that's struggling with the diagnosis or, you know, very unique needs. But there is literally a nonprofit for almost any type of need that you would have. And I know you interviewed someone just the other day that works for a nonprofit um, for, I think it was a, a refu- refugee children, you know, just giving them a weekend to have fun and be kids. And so just, I want to shout from the highest room of the tallest tower that nonprofits are out there because we want to serve you with nothing in return. We don't want anything in return. It gives us joy to to serve others. And that's where I am right now. I've accepted Barkley's diagnosis. I He is just adorable. He's so much fun. And I just want to help other parents get to that level of peace where where I am. And it was other parents like me that helped me get to this point. Absolutely. Amazing when we think about how our own experiences can help other people. It really is empowering. What are some of the tools? We've just talked about tools to help people raise their village, but what are some of the tools to help you live your best and bravest life? You talked about having a bath with a candle. That is always a good thing to do in my books. (laughs) (laughs) With a nice herbal tea or a glass of wine, I'm very happy with either. But how do you move forward on a daily basis and know that there are going to be challenges? You know that there are going to be situations that you know that they're going to be challenging. You've had to let go of your expectations. You've had to let go Mm -hmm. of so many different areas in your life. What does it mean to you to live your best and bravest life and how do you do that? Well, I think for me right now, it was really hard to come forward and share our family's biggest struggles that we face publicly but, and, and even when I started doing it, because I write for, I freelance write as well. I write in a lot of parenting magazines. I write for The Mighty, a lot of different platforms. And I'm very candid about our family's struggles, but I also try to hear some strategies to deal with that. And this is how we've dealt with that issue and how we've overcome it. 
And that was a little scary at first. Um, but I was at a girlfriend's house and she had, um, she's very motivational in my life. And I mentioned her a lot in my book and, uh, she was doing like a women's retreat. And one of the things we were doing is your strengths test. And so what's that? I don't know the name of it off the top of my head, but I will get it to you so we can put it in the show notes. But it's a quiz that you do that puts your, it, it kind of takes all these different personality traits. And instead of saying, these are the ones you aren't good at that you should work harder on. It's these are the ones you're great at and you should focus more time on these. And I think like education and information was like at the top of the list for me. I've been a teacher my whole life. And I'm like, here I was gaining all this information about autism, uh, seeking out every um, social media figure that shares their life story on social media. Uh, those were some of the best people that I found that helped me. Um, and I'm like, I want to be that for other mothers and other parents like I was. I went home that day and looked up how to build a website, you know, <laughs> and so built my website and started just writing, just writing and writing and writing. And at first there were some family members that were like, are you sure you want to share all of those personal stories about Barclay's autism publicly? And I almost felt like, not that they were meant it this way, but it almost felt a little bit like, is it something I should be ashamed of? Because I'm not. And it's other parents that were brave enough to do that when I needed it, that gave me the courage to embrace this life that we're living head on and to want to shine a light on autism awareness and to embrace that my son is just as normal as any other child. He's just autistic. His brain works differently. And I want to help empower other parents to think about that with their own child. Not that it's not. There are days that are so hard. And that's another uh, point to get across is that a hard day, that's all it is, is one hard day. You're going to have many others. It's a moment in time and it will pass. And that is also something that parents on with a child with a developmental disability, especially autism spectrum disorder, need to remember because there are days the meltdowns are tough. There are days you get bit. There are days things get thrown and broken and all behavior serves a function. So I try to teach parents to step back and like, what is your child trying to tell you? What, what are they struggling with? Because they're having a hard time, not giving us a hard time. But I think living brave is taking your personal story, which you've done as well, and sharing it with the world in hopes that if one person benefits from it, it was worth it. It was worth opening your heart and your life up to other people. I love when I see that in other people. And that's, I want to be that type of an authentic person. And I want someone listening to this that maybe is has a two-year-old that they're struggling with an early diagnosis. No, they can email me and they, I can be part of your support system. And that's how passionate I am about helping families like my own. I couldn't agree with you more, Amy. It is such a wonderful gift to be able to help others through our own stories. And when we think about times gone by, ancient times, the way that we all learnt was through story and yes. sharing those stories and being authentic exactly as you have said is 
what makes this so special. I have enjoyed this conversation immensely, Amy. Thank you so much for opening your heart, for being here, for doing the work that you do and helping others. You are Tiffany, but apparently my son wanted to interrupt and say hello. Oh, Oh, hello. (laughs) It's perfect timing. Hello. So, Amy, I just wanted to say thank you so much for this interview. I have enjoyed this interview so much. You have given pearls of wisdom. You've opened your heart and your soul to us. And I think even for families who don't have a child who has autism will get so much out of what you have shared today. You are an inspirational woman, and I thank you for the work that you're doing across the world. It's amazing. Thank you so much, and I look forward to possibly catching up with you again down the road and uh, continuing to follow the great work that you're doing. I gobble up each episode. They're so good. And, you know, I love the concept of bravery and you sharing that message and and that empowers people like me that maybe we didn't realize that's what we were doing, that we were living brave. So thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Isn't Amy absolutely inspirational? She is making a difference to people across the globe. It was such a privilege and an honour to have her on the When We Are Brave podcast. I love how she talks about self-care. Last week on the When We Are Brave podcast, I did a solo episode on self-care and some simple and easy strategies, which are very budget-friendly, in fact free, that you can do. It doesn't matter where you're at in your life what's happening within your family, your friends, your community. What matters is what's going on within yourself and taking care of yourself so that you can serve others. And that's exactly what Amy is talking about. So make sure wherever you are in this moment in time that you carve some time out for yourself to recharge your batteries so that you can take care of the most important person in your life. And that, my friend, that's you. We can't be brave if our cup is empty. If you're needing some inspiration, some empowerment, or wondering how you can move forward in your life, the Festival of Brave is just the thing for you. That's right, my friends. It is an online summit. It is available to anyone across the globe that is tuning in. I would absolutely love to see you there. It is going to be an incredibly transformative morning and it is an opportunity for some self-care for you. What is the Festival of Brave? Well, let me tell you. We're going to start off with an interactive part in the morning We're going to connect with others and we're going to talk about what it means to you to be brave. I'll be leading this session and I'm going to talk about what it means to me to be brave. I'm going to be talking about my story and why bravery is so important in our lives because often we don't think that we are being brave and yet everything that we might be doing in our life is brave. Just getting out of bed in the morning is brave. We can live an incredible, ordinary, normal, wonderful and extraordinary life when we're brave, when we take those steps, when we face our fears. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead you through what it means to you to be brave. There's a downloadable workbook that you'll get as well for the festival. 
And we'll be talking about going through that during that first session, first thing in the morning at 9am Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time. Then we're going to be doing some movement, which is so important for letting go of our fear, harnessing our courage. We're doing that with the gorgeous Kylie Roger, who is the most beautiful and soul-driven woman who is incredible. I can't wait to do this with her. It's going to be so much fun. Then I will be leading a meditation connecting to your inner strength. Now, this is powerful stuff. I love meditation. I've meditated for a very, very long time. I do law of attraction and manifesting and visualizations and all those awesome things, affirmations and all that stuff, all that great juicy soul and spirit stuff. And I love it. So I'm going to be running that meditation session. And then I've got the incredible Sarah Turner coming on to talk about limiting beliefs, identifying your limiting beliefs, letting them go, and then a live Q&A with her. Sarah Turner is absolutely incredible. She is a powerhouse, inspirational, another soul-led woman who is just beautiful. And I cannot wait to do this session with her as well. She was also on the podcast in season one. So if you wanted to learn more about Sarah, go and check that out. I'll put a link in the show notes for today. And then finally, to end, we're going to do something really fun because it's a lot of work that we'll be doing that's incredibly transformational. We're going to do some tea leaf reading with the gorgeous Annie O'Reilly, who was an eighth generation Tassiomancis, which is a tea leaf reader. And she was also on Lego Masters 2020 and on the When We Are Brave podcast. You can also check out Annie's podcast too, where we talk about focus. And we're going to also be doing focus in our tea leaves for some fun and connection at the Festival of Brave. This is the first online summit that When We Are Brave is running. These summits will happen throughout next year as well. So my beautiful friends, tickets are still available. Tickets are $50 for the morning. This is valued at over $800. I know that seems crazy, but trust me when I tell you what incredible transformative value you're going to be getting. I wanted to make this affordable for everybody. And so that's why the tickets are at the price that they are. This type of workshop is so important for our own self-worth, our self-care and valuing our lives and to be brave. I really hope that you can make the Festival of Brave. There will be a link on the show notes for today and there will be more information on there if you want to know more. If you do want to know more and you want to chat to me about this festival, please send me an email, info at whenwearebrave.com. Show notes will also include Amy's contact details and all of the other wonderful and valuable things that she talked about, including her workbook, links to her book, and the strength test. That's right, she talked about that too. So how amazing, how amazing is Amy and how amazing is the Festival of Brave going to be? I cannot wait. We're closing in to the end of 2020. It has been a year different to any other year in living memory. It is a year that has changed lives and I want to end this year with a bang. I want to end this year helping you to be brave. Please reach out to me. If ever you've got any questions, you know where I am. Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. All of the everything will be on the show notes. Whenwearebrave.com. I'd love to connect with you. 
And so, my beautiful friends, be brave. Until next time, and live your best and bravest life.